Company featuring conversations with best selling authors as well as the hottest reviews with the authors you choose. We're inspiring the world through Christian literature. Stay logged on. We'd like to know what are you reading? <laughs> hello, hello, once again, welcome to the review. I'm Joy, as always. I am delighted to be in the midst of your company, and I am particularly delighted tonight on this marvelous Monday because it is the kickoff of our 12th season for the Review with Joy and Company. Can you believe that, Rose? 12 seasons of reviewing books? You know, 12 is my number. I know that's your number. <laughs> I think, and you know what? I'm expecting amazing things to happen. And listen, guys, when you get a look at the books that we're jumping off this season with, you're going to know it's a new season. It's a new day and a fresh anointing has come our way. Well, before we jump in the stream, let's say hello to Rose Lewis. Hello and welcome to season 12. Yes, yes, yes. And of course, we want to do a big, big, big 12-time shout out to our dear friend and loved one, Rosemary Legrand. Mm -hmm. Hugs and kisses. You know we like to do that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's between Rosemary and I. Well, guys... Tonight, to kick off the season, we have an endearing book, and it is it is just good storytelling. It is a great read. Um, I'm just going to jump in and tell you about a little bit about our author. Her name is Anna Lee Viscara Vineyard, and she is a first-time author, so we're going to be a little kind to her, but not too very kind. We're not going to go too easy on her. Um, she is coming here by way of the DFW area, and we are so excited to jump in the stream tonight with A Legacy of Love, Finding the Courage to Finally Speak Out. Annalie, it gives me great pleasure to say welcome to the review. 
Well, I feel very honored and I'm so excited to be able to be here with you all today and most of all to know that God and the Holy Spirit are here with us today. Thank you all for allowing me to be here today. Oh, well, you, you are more than welcome. And anytime you get like all 10, we, we can just flash our fingers for her. You guys, this is a very well-written book. Put it on your agenda for 2023 reading because there are so many stories in this one story. I loved it from beginning to end. And you know me. You know I'm a sucker for a good love story. And so there's, there's that in here also. Um, Anna Lee, why don't you start off by telling our audience, you know, just give us a little summary of what the book is about. Well, the book has a little bit of everything. I actually lose my mother um, about when I was about to be 15. My mother passes away in Mexico. She was interpreter translator that worked for General Motors. I was just 15 and she passes away of placenta previa and complications of that and the following day we lose our mother. I had to go and start preparing for a funeral instead of preparing for my quinceañera that we say. That's my 15th birthday and um, receiving a baby, uh, my mom's child and having to take over helping my brother Jesse in the middle of all this with uh, my grandparents on my mom's side and facing some other difficult uh, challenges. Uh, was hoping to receive our mother coming back home from the hospital, which she never did come back. I had to prepare a funeral. After that, I go and live with my grandparents. We actually went from Saltillo, Mexico, Saltillo, Coahuila, back to LA, Los Angeles. That's actually where I was born. And living with my grandparents, it was such an abusive environment. They were very controlling and I did not have my own voice. Losing her at that age and I was always very introverted, very quiet. I was actually uh, taken into a loveless marriage at 18. I had my high school sweetheart which they never were okay with it because it was about money. It was about control. It was about them taking over and I was not willing to sell my mother's property. That was the only thing that she had left. So instead, I said I would not do that. So the punishment for them was to send me, ship me to Mexico, be there in my wedding, and leave me in my mother's house where I lived. And I would always go back to the memories that I had of my beloved mother. Go to the funeral, I mean to graveyard, and be there. It was very traumatic for me at that age. Then I had a very hard time having children. I could not have any children. I had to go through a lot of procedures and checkups and find out what was wrong with me at the time. I was very young. I finally uh, become pregnant. I lose my first child due to the malpractice of the assistant that was about to be a doctor. Um, I never got to see my child. It was in the same hospital where my mother started her deathbed. Um, It was a lot of confusion. It was a lot for me to manage and to process and go back and it was too much for me. And knowing that I was in the same house where my mother lived her last years of life, 
then uh, eventually I was able to come back to the United States where I finally, thanks to a good friend of mine, which I don't write in the book, she made me, she allowed me to see the light and let me know that it was not okay, that I was not to stay in an arranged marriage like my mother did before I did, and that I was to have a new life, which I did, but because I had not received therapy, I had not received help, I ended up in another relationship where I was abused, uh, put down so much, where I did not have a voice, and even I was described in detail how my days would end. Yes. With my little one coming and going with his father, and he would come and tell me exactly what his dad had planned for me. It was very hard because I've always been very private like my mother. So eventually I'm able to come out of that. I describe in my book ways and techniques of getting healing from loss, facing life and death many times in my life. Not only that, losing my first child. Yes. Of five months along was just too much. I never got to sing him a song. I never got to hold him. I never got, I was by myself in those times. My yeah. grandmother was a very dismissive grandmother. She was not there for me. Yeah. I lose my mother and I would go a lot to take flowers to her mm -hmm. and talk to her because I felt so lonely. But if it wouldn't have been because of my mother, I don't know where I would be here. I don't know where I would be now. And most of all, because what she taught me, the love for Christ. Yes. Yeah. That's what kept me going, kept me going through my path. But that's not it. God also had light. God also blessed me with a very loving husband. I did get to have um, closure with that person in school. I, get, I did get to share what I was going through. And he mentioned, finish yourself. Finish your dreams reach for those dreams. Don't ever give up. If I was able to do so much in my life, mm -hmm. you could also do the same. You know, I loved your book and your writing on so many levels, and we're going to talk a little bit about some of the incidences. But one thing that your book did for me is it made me aware of we're in a society where we uh, talk about differences and different cultures, cultures, and reading your book reminded me that we have more likenesses between the cultures than yes. what we have differences. Yes. And I saw that in so clearly in your book because even though, and, and I love that the book is written in two languages. This, I, can you guys see the book? Because, oh, it's so pretty. You know, it's just the cover of it kind of touches you. It's a beautiful book. And it's a beautiful story and it's beautifully written. And it, it brings you, it brought me to that point of saying, you know, God, it's time for America to just quit struggling with this whole cultural, racial thing because we are so much, we have more in common than yes. not. Yes, amen. And, and that I saw so vividly in your book. So thank you for writing that. I love the vulnerability and it just makes the whole thing, the whole storyline so authentic. So good job on that. Rose? <coughs> 
I, I was going. I was getting ready. <laughs> I know. I can see it. I can see it. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna touch on a couple of things you mentioned when you were sharing uh-huh. uh, about your story. I want to go back to to the baby. I know that's hard, and you look at I didn't get to see my baby, but let's look at the situation. Mm-hmm. Your baby was five months. You were five months pregnant then. Yes. The the amniotic fluid had come out, so you have to know that perhaps God was protecting you because I don't know if that was a memory you wanted. So don't look at it as I didn't get to see my child. Look at it as God loved me enough that he did not let me have to live mm. that. Think about when you and your brother had to see your mother exhumed oh, and what that did to you all. I think that seeing that child could have been a same type of thing. And God said, not again. I'm not going to let you go through that hurt. So look at it from that perspective. Yes. And, and kind of heal from that. Yes. You know? Yes. I and, and that's what I got when I was reading. The other thing I want to touch on, and um, I think it was uh, with Julio. That was the abusive husband, Abby's, Abby's husband. dad. Yeah. I think it was a fear that made you marry him. Uh, and I think it was a part of compassion, too, because you saw him in a bondage. You saw that he didn't have his papers. You saw that he, too, was almost in a same situation like you, where he was forced, where he couldn't get free. And when he came to your door, you had the option not to talk to him. Yes. He had done talk crazy to you up at the store in the line and got pissed off at you because you exposed him that he, wasn't, he didn't have his papers. Yes. But it was something inside of you that still held on to help him. You didn't know you were going to go through the abuse, but I think it was that compassion that you had and wanting to help him and see him free that you walked into that marriage. Yes. Well, leave it to Rose to bring it out on the, you know, to go down deep because I didn't see all of that. And and the reason being is, I saw she was very, she was still, you were still very young. I don't want to talk about you in third person like you're not sitting right next <laughs> yes. to me. But you were still very young and vulnerable when Julio yes. came on. Yes. And did he not come back to that store and lay it on thick with that apology? <laughs> yes. Yeah. But and then. then she, she, you did comment that he was a good looking guy. And, um, you know, I think all of that contributed to her getting with Julio and then after he now he kind of bombarded his way in yeah he did and then you get the pressure from your church from your dad yeah I could see when your dad came in I I could see you just but see it was still compassion there joy because in spite of the fact of what they were forcing her to do she had the option to say you need to leave we can't go on like this true she didn't have to let him stay yes that was her apartment. That was her. That was her space. Yeah, I just don't know if she was in a space in her mind. Well, were you in a place in your mind where you were strong enough to take that stand at that point in your life? No, I was not strong, and that's because that's the reason why I ended up going to therapy. It was so easy for me to be moved and put here, and and my dad would do as he pleased. I didn't have my own voice. I was always to stay 
making sure everyone was well, taking care of my neighbor, but I was not taking care of myself. Mm -hmm. and, I, and you're very right, very right, Joy. That's exactly where I was till I actually went and I took therapy and I cried out of all the things I had gone through and I, was, I had the courage to face everything. That's when I started seeing change. That's when I saw breakthrough, and I cried in my house. I got on my on my knees one day when I knew that I was between life and death with Julio, but it was the Lord. It was the Lord that said, no, Annalie, this is not what I had in store for you. Right. This is not what I wanted for you, but you wanted to please your dad. You didn't have a voice. You wanted to make sure, like you said, your compassionate heart, your uh, you still didn't have experience. There were so many things in between, and in between that, I needed healing. Because my first husband, he was much of a mama's boy, yeah. okay? And he also allowed the abuse of his mother, telling me that I couldn't have any children, and they did so much. So yeah, I needed healing. I needed to come to a place to know my identity, and that my identity was not in my past not in those uh, current situations that I was back then, but that my identity was in Christ. That's where my identity was and yeah. is. When I started realizing that, and I would cry and go to therapy and remember what my mama would tell me, take care of your neighbor. Take care of your neighbor. Mm -hmm. And that was actually instilled at a very young age. Mm -hmm. Not only I know you know now Jesus, I know, I'm, I've taught you that, love your neighbor like you love yourself. Yeah. You know, and still till now, I remember that. Because you're right, this world would be a much better place, sister, if we would all stop mm -hmm. creating division and come together in Christ. We're sisters in Christ. Of our godly father, we become one. Yes. You know, one of the things that your book, um, I'd like to refer to it as a, um, a jewel, actually, that you bring out in here as opposed to just being a lesson taught because it is so valuable when readers, when you read this book, you see when she steps out and um, leaves her first husband, that whole, that time period between first husband and second husband Julio coming into your life there are so many lessons for not only young women but for men too when you're in that re abusive type relationship yes. coming out is a process yes and and you have to be careful that you allow time and growth and healing to happen in between relationships. Yes. If not, you find yourself back into the same type of abusive relationship. Right. And I, I was, when I got to that part and I was reading it, I said, oh, this is so yes. rich, you know? Yes, it is. So when your young girls uh, in your family go off to college and they start dating, this is a great book for them to have. Place it with them because there are so many uh, life lessons that are so tenderly placed in this book, yes. you know? Yes. And then you could see, you, Julio, and, and let me tell you something. Julio knew who he was talking to when he came back. He saw your spirit. 
So when he came back, because he was a yes. dog to you at first. But he had researched. He knew where she lived. Yeah. Because he came to so her he house. Knew, he, yeah. knew, so. he knew he was talking to a beautiful, invulnerable young woman that he could manipulate yes. and get next to. Yes. And, and that is... Men know women. They know us. They know when we're vulnerable. They know when we're lonely, and they pray. Yes. yes. They can. They um, you know, um, uh, people who have that type of abusive nature. They see the characteristics in their prey when they get ready to to pounce on someone for yes. lack of a better term. Yes. So I love the delicate way that you dealt with that issue. You know. And it, it's yes. just really important when, when we go from one relationship to another. And it's not uh, yes. limited to love relationships. No. It could be friendships. Yes. Um, it could be employment, yes. you know, business relationships. You have to give yourself time and space to breathe, I to agree. regroup. And that's what I did. Um, after I did therapy, I was alone, divorced for three years. You're very right. Both yeah. of you ladies are very, yeah. very wise. That's why you you were you were cautious with Joel. He was a jewel to to capture, but <laughs> yeah. but you wasn't about to let him just walk on and and, and come on up in there. Oh, I, no. I when you when, I was tickled when you tried to tell, give that address of that house you done leased out and then parked in the driveway and had to figure out how you gonna get out that car and make an excuse for you. why you he couldn't walk you to the door. But I gotta go see my friend. He said, "It's time of night. When you going this time of night?" <laughs> well, this time of night. I say, and I'm thinking she had she could have come up with a better deal. I, I mean, I'm thinking about what you could have done. I would. I don't think I'd have parked at the house. I would have stood my ground and told him. That, I think that was like y'all second date. Yeah, I would have told him, "No, nah, you not picking me up. We gonna meet. I don't know you." So you, you you had a little more power then, but I think it's still that part of you that wasn't completely healed where you still were a little vulnerable. Mm -hmm. You were trying to be strong because I'm not going to let this happen to me again, but a part of you was didn't have it all the way sealed. Well, actually what my therapist said is that you're going to allow that person, whoever it is, it could be a friend, it could be... A relationship uh, person that comes into your life to know as much as you feel comfortable with mm -hmm. you're gonna find the way to learn to protect yourself and you will not allow them to know more that you're not comfortable with mm -hmm. so what I did was that I said I am very interested in this person and I knew that it was just our second date but if you remember the first date I showed up dressed as I know I know like a nun <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, it's not about my curves. It's not. I just want him to see my heart. My heart. Mm -hmm. To see me, but no more. Mm -hmm. Okay? So when I sat him down. I love that you movie. See that? I asked him. I that said, could be a movie. <laughs> you know, I believe that God is going to come up with this story for his glory, not for mine. Yes. Into a movie. Uh-huh. I believe so because there's so much that yeah. people out there need to hear right. and they need to be healed from. Yes. So on our second date, I'm like, oh, I love this man. He thought that I was married. He thought that I didn't live there. He thought what well, she was right, but he also thought it was in my house. And I said, yes, it is. 
Go look yeah, it up. Go and look it up. <laughs> Find out. But I'm going to be careful. I'm going to be mindful. I'm going to watch my step. But mm-hmm. you're right. I'm not good in line. So what happened that <laughs> night was that I we were so excited that I just got carried out on the time he did too. And when he dropped me off, he says, let me take you to the door. And I'm like, oh my gosh. And my brain was, this is my house, but I can't take him in. Can't go in that Walmart There's house. a tenant in there. What am I going to do? And But I really liked the company. I felt I was, I felt like on cloud nine with the Cinderella story. And I was so excited, but I said, Jesus, this is not what I asked for. Yeah. When I was leaving him, I'm thinking, this is not what I asked for. I'm just a plain, humble girl that loves you, Jesus. But he's going to have to figure out what he's going to do with his vehicle. I just don't want yeah, that. That just tickled me. You were so caught up about that Corvette. The Corvette. I mean, you know, I, I mean, it wasn't a Lamborghini. I mean, it was <laughs> a Corvette, baby. <laughs> That is very true, but in my heart, I was thinking, that's not what I asked Jesus. I asked Jesus for a man that loved him, okay, then he would be able to love me. And my friend, Jongo, she had that prayer, and she asked for all those things. She asked for all, because she said, Jesus, the more you bless her, she is going to go and help people. She is going to go and serve, because you know her heart. And she's overly lost so much. I even lost my mother's jewelry yeah. to yeah, save no. the house. And for me, it was more a sentimental value than actually, you know, the value. It was the heart. But I didn't ask for all that. And when God does all that, I'm like, Jesus, but wait, wait, wait. I didn't ask for that. I just asked for this. And you listen to Jongo, and she said, because God knows your heart. Mm-hmm. And he will do what he knows is right. That's right. But you know, in in the story too, it it shows that even though you have reservation, give the person a chance to justify themselves and explain themselves. Because once Joel told you, "This is something I wanted since I was a boy. I always wanted this car." Yeah. So he was just living out his dream, yes. just like you had a dream. He was living out his dream. It wasn't about I want to be all this and that because I drive a Corvette. You know, it just was his dream car. And I understand, because I used to have a dream car. And I know how excited I was when I got it. I was pretty darn excited. <laughs> <laughs> I understand. Listen, you know. guys, once again, you're tuned in to the Review with Joy and Company. We've kicked off our 12th season tonight, and we're pretty darn excited about it. We're visiting with author Anna Lee Viscara Vineyard, A Legacy of Love. You can visit us at joyandcompany.org to get your your copy of this beautiful book and it's not it's just not beautiful by the cover okay the contents of it it's an easy read you guys I would not steer you wrong on this one at all it's an easy read but it is very fulfilling and it is a very purposeful and intentional read um, you know what well, you and I were talking before the actual show started and you told me you give people who ask you is this a religious book so I'm just gonna put it out there is this a religious book <laughs> no. I don't think so no Mm-mm. my my heart is about having a relationship with uh, my father Papa Dios that's God uh, that's like saying daddy daddy God is to have that relationship with him and I believe it's not about a religion 
because it's about God and talking to him every day and uh, getting to know more about my father as I want him also to continue that relationship, that communication one-on-one. -on -one. Mm -hmm. I wake up, Daddy, you know, this is what I'm working on. I give everything to you. I give him praise. I give him honor. I'm always staying as I am right now, the same girl, humble, and reminding myself, Jesus, it's about you. I need you today. As I was coming here, my husband and I praying, making sure that that communication continues to flow, and as well, worshiping him, talking to him, praising him, singing to him, because that's what he deserves and that's what he wants from all of us. It does yes. not matter, Hispanic, Anglo, African-American, we all become one in Christ. That's yes. it. That's it. I believe in that dream of Mr. Martin Luther King. We all become one. Yes. We're all together. I have a dream. Yes. I have my dream, but he was right. He was very right. That dream was about all becoming one, one in Christ. One in Christ, one yes. In Christ. You, know, you know, I think that uh, when, if, when you go back to, is it a religious book? I think it's a book to show you that no matter how many resources you have, hmm. it's your source mm. that counts. Yes. Yes. And in this book, every obstacle, everything you encountered, it goes back to your source. That's it. And Amen. it was God that delivered you out of everything. Every Even when you were young and little, you remembered your mom and, and her faith. Mm -hmm. And yes. it got you through. Yes. You know? Yes. And uh, it, it's, it's a very... Um, it's a very touching book. Yes. And another thing, too, you, you covered a lot of ground because when, when you think of human trafficking, you think of people kidnapping girls, putting them on a boat in Galveston or somewhere and taking them to California, across the seas to another country and selling them and bidding on them. But what you went through was a human trafficking, too. Ooh. Yes, it was. Yes, it was. I it agree was with a you. Form yes, of because was. you and your brother, mother both were forced to marry people you didn't love and you had no control of it. No. You were forced into that. And, and, and that, I, 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 I hurt for you because that was so sad. You had no power. You were like you were powerless. Very much powerless, hopeless. And knowing that I would hear stories of my other aunts that my mom and I were very much alike in our personality, easy to control, easy to manipulate. And hearing that from several aunts saying, well, I'll tell you why it went bad for you and for her. Because of the way you guys were. You were so sweet, so kind. You were easy to control. That hurts. That yeah. really hurts. Because my intention was always to do things right but they did not allow me to have my own voice. Even my, if you look at my book, it says, shh, mm -hmm. we, were not, I, we were not allowed to talk. We were not allowed to share what was happening in our home. Mm -hmm. We had to keep that quiet. And I know that the season is well now. I know that God wants me to share my story, my testimony, yes. so other ladies children men that are being human trafficked i was taken yes i was also you know under human traffic my mom also that is not well that's not what god had in store for me and i had to understand that in all the middle of the confusion of what my grandparents did it is well lord jesus because you've taken me from there to here
And I want these people to also be set free. These children, ladies, even men that are being actually sold off or taken. In my case, it was also because of money and power. I was not willing to sell my mom's property. They had already taken control of her life insurance. They had taken control of her jewelry. Mm -hmm. They had taken control of everything she had. And over her life, she never got to see the light. I got to see the light for her and for myself. Do we have to say hello to some people? Yes, we do. Uh, Dr. Kevin, First Lady Melissa Henry says, good evening, beautiful ladies. Good evening. Stella Alexander said, uh, let me get back to Stella. She told us, good evening, Joy and Company. Good evening. Good evening. And then she just said, and Daphne Watts said, hi, ladies. Hi, Daphne. And Igbog Masi said, hello. And Jerry Rogers is back. You know, we got... Hey, Jerry. Jerry I hope you got your package, Jerry. He did. He He emailed us and told us he got it. Oh, I I responded to him. I haven't emails in a couple of days, I don't think. Because he was wondering where we were. And I told him we had took a little... R and R. We had to. Yeah. And that we would be here today. And he's here with us. Thank you, Jerry. <laughs> he said, This is cool to witness. I'm enjoying seeing how Christ centered this all is. Oh, thank That's you. That's a beautiful oh, statement. That is. And it is Christ centered. Yes, it is. That's yes. that that should make you feel proud to know that this is purpose. Yes. This is purpose. And this mm-hmm. is setting my mama and myself free. Yes. yes. And many others that are out there that need to hear that. The thing about it free is when you and Joel were out and that martini glass cracked oh, when 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 yes. you when you was talking about your mama, then when he was talking about his mama the bottom of the water glass coming loose, I think they was telling y'all it is well. I was thinking it is well. Are we having a visitation here or what? Uh yes, that was deep. <laughs> yeah. Yes. That was deep. Yes. We were having dinner, and I was finishing my degree that I always wanted, and we were celebrating, and as we're sitting there, I was telling my husband, you know, I know that my mama is with me. I feel her close to me. I feel that she's here. I would love for her, for me to see her, because this is a big accomplishment. And as we're talking, and I'm describing, I feel her here. Sometimes I could smell her perfume. And they had just placed the two martini glasses. And it was not Joel's, it was mine as it was sitting there. It probably had a couple of seconds. And the bottom of the martini glass stayed, but all the other, it just shattered. And I'm like, what's going on? The people that were sitting across on the sides were asking, is everything okay? Are you all okay? What happened? For me, yes, I don't know how you all see it, but for me, it was just like my mom's saying, it's okay, I'm here. And maybe, I don't know, maybe people might see it differently, but my husband too, the following weekend. Yes, that was his water glass. And I was like, you know, my mother-in-law, we were talking about her. I always wanted to meet her, but before we got married, which I don't remember writing that, I'm going to share something. I had a dream with my mother-in-law. Wow. And it was so vivid that no one would like what i kept quiet and eventually when i felt more comfortable he had already proposed the same color that his mama liked purple. is the same color that i love purple yes and he actually said what happened Ellie? i said i saw your mom in my dream 
and it was so clear I was going into a house that it was like noontime it was a lot of light and she was sitting with a man next to her she goes to the door she opens and I'm coming in and she still peeks out and she says where's my son where's my son I said he had to go to work she says oh she says well come sit right here the first thing she did is that she tilted and she started talking to the man and then she looked and she says you know I didn't know what was going on. They were just confirming. Then she grabs my hand and she starts touching my hand in a certain way, my face. And she said, I will be there for my son and for you on your way. Wow. And I could see the rays of the sun of the daytime coming in. And she was looking at me so beautiful, but a beautiful lady like you both are, my goodness gorgeous lady that you could tell that the Lord is there. She talks to the man again. Then eventually she says goodbye. I leave. And as I'm following months by, I, I told Joel after we were married, I said, I saw your mom. But the stunning part is that I could not know what his mama would do. I could not describe his mo mom doing this on the face or in the hands. When I told my husband, he said, Annalie, that's exactly what my mom would do. How were you able to know if you never met yeah. her before? Mm -hmm. He was like, what? I said, she was doing this to my face and she got really close and, and I felt like, is she gonna be okay with me? I'm, I'm this Hispanic girl. I told my husband that, that's funny, that's cute. He says, she's gonna be fine with whoever because he knows that my heart is with you, Annalie. It's okay, Annalie. And I'm like, wow, Lord Jesus, I was able to see his mama. And she said, I'm gonna be there in your wedding. Let my son know. So I had to share that with you all. Thank you so much for sharing that. That's a beautiful wanna, story. It, it, it is. is, the entire story, the testimony, um, it, it, it flops over into memoirs at some point. It's all beautiful. I have a couple of questions though that I wanna ask, but I wanna wait and ask Victor first to give me a time on, where, where are we? Uh, right now we're looking at 45 past the hour. Ooh, okay, all right, well, I'd like you to speak to our audience and share a little bit about your deliverance process because what was the catalyst? What was it that, you know, for lack of a better word, the straw that broke the monkey's back? Because you were 12 years into your first marriage, mm -hmm. you know? Yes. And you don't give us a lot in the book, and, and now it, it's okay, because the yes. book is beautifully written, but what gave you the courage to leave? For me to leave, when he described how Julio described how he was going to end my life and he was extremely abusive. Excuse me, not Julio, I mean with your first husband. Because okay. that's that that you were into that whole family Bonacio, abusive thing. Yeah. yeah yes. With um, Bonifacio. Yeah. And um for twelve years. It was 12 years, and I, as I, I did mention uh, earlier at the beginning, a did friend you? of mine named Carla, mm -hmm. she is not named here, she walked me through, and she would see how my mother-in-law back then was extremely, she was rude, she was horrible. She was, she was, she was crazy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> she was always comparing me with her, 
and her being able to have children and I was, you know, 18, I couldn't have any children. So she would put me down. My friend Carla would see when they would come to the United States and visit how she would treat me, mm. how they were really ugly. Mm -hmm. And I would step out and they would talk bad about me with her. So she pulls me aside and she says, Annalie, I know that there's something really wrong with this relationship, which you should have never been part of. It's a very off relationship. Annalie, tell me what you're going through. Share what you're really experiencing. And as I was sharing with her, she said, you need to get out. You, it is okay. I know in our culture, we're not allowed to have a divorce. I know that you're gonna face your dad, you're gonna face loved ones, but you are not well. And God did not have that in store. That's when she did what she did. And eventually I understood that God didn't want me to stay like that, that I was not treated well mm -hmm. and that I couldn't do better than that. And she figured out that I had been in an arranged marriage. She knew. Mm -hmm. I spoke up and she said, that's not okay. Now this, when I began reading your book, I, I, a lot of cultures um, still practice pre-arranged marriages today even. Yes. Um, of course, it's not as vividly and open as it used to be at one point, but there are some cultures that still do practice that. Yes. I had not known that to be uh, prevalent in the Hispanic culture. So uh, was that more of your grandparents thing or is that a part of the Hispanic culture that we may not even know about? Well, it does happen and I don't believe that people are really open about sharing that. In, in my culture, people tend to keep things bundled up and shh, don't share. But it was definitely my grandfather's role yeah. to do, okay. to take charge of my mama and myself mm -hmm. because of our persona and because of money. Yeah. He was mm -hmm. about that. Mm -hmm. So that's what, you know, I, hope so I, I did answer. Yeah. yeah, you did, you did. It, it was more like of a family. Yes. Because, I mean, there's um, families in even <laughs> African-American culture, even today, where that kind of thing happens, you know, especially even in uh, people make business arrangements based in, and marry for business arrangements and things like that. But it's not actually the cultural practice. So I just kind of wanted a little clarity on yes. that. Another issue that I felt like you really um, dealt with, there's so many things. You guys, this is a great book because it is a coming of age sort of book. And I love those type of books, you know, yes, yes, to yes. share with young people um, because it helps to fill in the gap. You know, they say it takes a village. Yes. And um, if sharing a book is giving a person knowledge and power. Yes. Because so, today even so many uh, people find themselves in unhappy relationships, abusive type relationships, and for whatever reason they choose to say, stay and suffer in silence. But when you place a book like this in someone's hand, and we all know someone who has been there and done yes. that, has been in those positions, and we're not privy to being in that position our own self. Placing a book like this in that person's hands, sometimes, you know, the, the faith comes by hearing, and yes. it's a process. You don't just wake up one day and say, well, I'm, I don't have anything, I'm, but I'm gonna walk away from my marriage and take my children from my husband. It's not a one-day thing. 
It's a process. It is a process. And a woman or a man who is in an abusive relationship, they have to be ready to make that decision to go. And you can love them and tell them how often. Thank God you had a friend that was there right in the nick of time when yes. you were ready to receive yes. it. And I think it, it, it boils down to being very, very prayerful and planting those seeds. Yes. And eventually that seed is gonna take root. Yes. Books like this, you guys, are perfect seed to plant yes. in someone's hand that's going through a trying relationship. I think this is a great coming of age book to give to your daughters when they start dating. Yeah. Because yes. there's so many issues that overturn in this book. And I said all of that to say one big issue that it's kind of floating through the book, but you don't really name it. You don't talk about it forthright, but you see it. It's like an angel floating through the pages. And that's the issue of forgiveness. What was yes. your process of forgiveness? Because you had to deal with that and get to that point. I love, I, I just really love the way you put the book together. I really do. Um, it's great storytelling. Good, good job. But she planted a seed even when she, it was Jose, I believe, at the airport. That was the guy from high school, right? Yes. And you told him that you had forgiven your grandparents. Yeah. And he said, but I, I'm not ready to do it. Yeah. Like, but, yeah right. but you planted a seed. You did. You let him know that it was possible. Mm -hmm. Yes. So you don't know what that did for him to know that he could let it go. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah, that's powerful, Rose. You're mm -hmm. right. Yeah. Yes, you're very right. Woo. Let me answer that. I think that there was something in my heart all the time. I could not hold grudges, and my mom was the same way, okay, that she would go through all these things with them, but she was always willing to let go. She loved them so much, just like I did, and I still love them because we're related, and we're all broken. Everyone is broken. You know, God is the only one that's perfect. Right. So I would see that, and I would still, this was wrong what they did to me, but I still love you. I still care about you because I'm part of you as well. Right. And when I went to therapy, of course, I cried. It hurt. It bothered. Because a therapist would take me, no, 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 tell me. What did you lose in all that? And it was, yes, that's when I had to face it. I lost this, all these years of my life, that child all of it my mama wouldn't be all this happened because of this mm -hmm. and i cried out what i needed to cry mm -hmm. i shared with her how i felt how painful it was to have grown without a mother and all the other things that they created mm -hmm. okay and what was still missing there that i needed healing with the lord allowed me to heal through what i shared with jose back then and also going to therapy Yes. And continuing growing in my faith allowed me to eventually say, it is well. It is okay. I'm not there anymore. Mm -hmm. To the point where I even wrote a workbook. And I have it here because I want people, ladies, everyone to heal from this forgiveness, loss, rejection. Because I felt pretty much rejected by my dad. Yeah. Okay? He was not there for me. When I was born, if you all remember, yeah, I remember, my mama never wanted to share that, but 
she I was why why she said you know your daddy didn't want to carry you it's a culture thing they always want a, a son man first because mm -hmm. it's the machismo in our culture that it has to be about men first and I felt who's gonna hold me my mom said I did honey and when she taught me about the Lord at a very young age I said Jesus has been my father it is well but I connected the dots as I was maturing so the workbook is for that I think it's uh, in the book too you explain a lot about therapy because you explain with therapy it's not an overnight process yes and it's layers of it yes and you know you went to individual therapy you went to group therapy when you went to group therapy you weren't really ready to open up at you're first right. You're right. but in time you did because when you began to hear these people went through the same thing I did. They yeah. dealing with what I went through. You get you get in a position to know that you're not alone. Yes. 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 Somebody else has gone through this. Yes. Then it it helps you to open up because you're not by yourself. Yes. It definitely helped me a lot. When I started seeing their stories, hearing them and being part of them, we became like a family. Yes. And they would share and I'm eventually I became very vulnerable to them and I started sharing my story too. And it helped me heal as I was going through all that. Yes. It is well. And I was also going another day of the week, one-on-one -on -one with the same therapist. Yes. And so I was going twice a week. And I realized it's okay. I'm not the only one. That's right. Do we have to say hi? Yeah, I'm going to share I'm, some comments. I'm going to step out while you share those comments okay. and check on my author, the next author. Okay. Uh, Stella Alexander says, it's such a beautiful story about your mother-in-law. God loves us and reassures us. Daphne Watson said when we were talking about purpose, purpose is everything. Amen. Dr. Kevin and First Lady Melissa Henry says, Amen. Sharing your testimony helps set you free. Revelations 12, 11. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. You know, uh, this, this book is, is a powerful book. And what I'd like you to do is, you know, Joy has shared you know what what it was like to finally make a decision to step out talk to somebody that may be in that situation and tell them what they're feeling and what what they can do with the help of God well as I share in my book that it does have tools is that as you're going through that you're confused you don't know where to go you sometimes don't even feel comfortable of talking to your neighbor but if you could find someone that you could trust and as well come to the Lord, come and ask God, I don't know how to come out of all this. I just don't know where to start. God will guide you. And if you're coming closer even to a therapy, that would be perfect because it will allow you to understand that there's other people that are also experiencing this. You're not alone. This is so common that it's in the uh, 40 percentile higher of women that have gone through abuse and it continues to happen more and more 20 percent and men so you're not alone and when you see other ladies going through that and with their little ones because they even take care of your babies as you're taking therapy there's help through the government to share to help you to heal to restore to be your best version in christ and knowing that you're not the only one Listen, I went through that, and it is well. 
Yes, and I know that God has an amazing purpose over your life. Don't ever give up and try to find good friends that will inspire you like I had Carla. Find a friend that you could trust and share your story so they could help you through this. My book is a wonderful tool as well to help you, to guide you. I had to do baby steps. It did not happen overnight and I share that so much in my book. It's baby steps and with God it is well and I would love to help you all if you want to, of course. Yeah. I can't um, express enough how impressed I was with the many, uh, the multiple topics that you dealt with in this book. Mm -hmm. I mean, on so many different levels, but yet there was a, a flow. There was continuity throughout the book and everything connected. One of the, uh, another big issue that you dealt with, oh, and I, it, it just was so endearing to me the way you did it was that of child molestation and sexual abuse and your grandmother how she protected you guys listen every family just if you don't do anything but read that part of her book it was just beautiful to the way that you wrote about it but we saw even though your grandmother was your grandparents were who they were with that you did see her protection over you in yes. that area and her mama and too. that was beautiful you know and um yes because there are so many layers when that um sexual family sexual abuse comes into play you don't want to destroy your family there's shame there's embarrassment you know you don't you, we keep our family secrets and what have you but the child still has to be protected. And I was super proud of your grandmother for protecting you the way she did. Yes. And her mother protected her. Her mother did, yes. Your mother protected you because she already knew what your grandmother had did for her to keep her from him. They knew what he was capable of. Yes, you're very right. Yes. Mm -hmm. That's a, a subject that it was hard for me to, you know, to strike bring together and write about yes and knowing that my mom would do that she would take me into the shower at times when she was in the shower and ask me to please sit on the toilet seat cover and look somewhere else as she was showering and then she would let me know when it was okay obviously it was like why are you doing this to me mom I don't understand I'm with my grandparents but as my mother passes away my grandmother starts doing that. She would peek when I was in the shower. She would peek in, in the room in the middle of the night. Very she would even come lay in the bed with you. With me. Yeah. I, I, I was really, and she eventually spoke up. My grandmother says, I don't trust your grandpa. Right. I just don't trust him. So for mm -hmm. you to know. Mm -hmm. And in a way, I even think that also probably that pushed for them and for her to want to marry me, which was against my will. Yeah. I, yes, and, and I, I think it is very obvious that their motive was money, and we do have to wrap the show up. But I also, I did see love in your grandmother for you. You know, I really did. Yeah. Well, by did. protecting me, yeah. I, I always will thank them for having me there in their home for three years, for giving me a roof, for giving me something to eat, for taking care of me in their own ways. I will always be very grateful. And that also I did share with that person, with Jose, that I was very grateful to them because of what they did and that that allowed me also to 
forgive them, to also see the good side of them and not only allow myself to go to those dark parts, but to be grateful for what they did. I think that Stella gave us a closing statement. She says this is a healing story. It is. You're right. You're right. And thank you for doing that, Stella, because we do have to close. Listen, guys, we want to just say thank you for jumping in and helping us start this 12th season off right. Annalie, thank you so much for trusting your baby with us. A legacy of love. Finding the courage to finally speak out and that it does take courage. So visit us at joyandcompany.org and get a copy of this beautiful book. This is a book that you'll keep, I promise you. Mm -hmm. You'll love this one. It's really good. We'll be back in a few minutes with a new author and we'll be talking about a whole nother great story. So hang out with us just for a little while longer, okay? Thank you. For all those times you stood for me, for all the truth that you made me see, for all the joy you brought to my life, for all the wrong that you made right, for every dream you made come true, for all
same old road for miles and miles You've been hearing the same old voice Tell the same old lies And if you try and feel the same old holes inside There's a better life There's a better life Listen to me If you got pain He's a pain taker yeah. If you feel lost, he's a way maker. If you need freedom and saving, he's a living shape and savior. You got chains, he's a chain maker. We've all searched for the light of day. Oh, y'all think we're, 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 we're excited about season 12 and we do have it together. So don't let Victor make you all think we don't have it together because we do. Go, Joy. That's right, because he wants me to come on without an introduction, but that's okay. I can do it anyway. Hi, thank you for jumping in the stream with us tonight. Welcome to the review with Joy and Company. I'm Joy, and as always, I am delighted.
delighted to be in the midst of your company. And it's Marvelous Monday. It's really marvelous for us tonight because we're kicking off our 12th season. Now, we've got a new author to talk about. You guys want to hang around for this book because it is the bomb, okay? This is a good book. Woo! And you know what, Rose? I realized two coming-of-age type books. I know. Yeah, right? Yes, yeah. I was telling you him mean, coming in how the the two books they, have touched the like, same and parallel on ooh, the same subject matter. Yes, they are. They're, they're, they're so good. Tonight was just awesome reads, and you guys should visit us at joyandcompany.org to get your copy of both of the books that we're talking about tonight. Well, before we formally jump into the stream with things, let's say hello to Rose Lewis. I'm going to say hello to you all, and I'm going to bring Rosemary to this. Because if she were here tonight, she would say, God, how you do that? <laughs> You're so right. She would say that. How you do that? Yes. <laughs> well, a big shout out to Rosemary. You guys, I want you to know she watches the shows every week. Um, she'll she'll be watching it when it's tomorrow afternoon for us, I think. But she does check on us and everything. We love you and miss you, Rosemary Legrand. Well, tonight we're jumping in the stream. Another first-time author who I'm telling you tonight, if tonight is indicative of what the 12th season is going to be like, it's it's going to be like a wonderful roller coaster ride because we we're visiting and talking about two powerful books, well written books, and now you know that's big on our platform. And uh, I'm just excited to meet our second author tonight. He is native of the DFW area. He is a husband, an entrepreneur, a successful businessman, man, and he has a story that you and I'm going to put it out here. Gather your bo your boys, your sons, and make sure you give them a copy of this book, Heart to Submit, The First Step Toward Life is Heart Failure, written by Glenn White II. Glenn, it gives me great pleasure to say welcome to the review. Thank you. Glad to be here. Oh, I'm excited to have you here. A lot that we have to talk about. I mean, from the title all the way through. First of all, give our audience a summary of Heart to Submit. What's it all about? Um, I think it's a, it, it's the easiest way to describe it, I guess, would be it's a hero's journey. Um, it's a memoir of my, I guess, my personal life and struggles and, and things that God has revealed to me along the way, um, oftentimes in hindsight um, and after a lot of mistakes and a lot of trials, but, um, but certainly um, a great, great journey and, uh, and exceptionally revealing. Yeah, yeah, good. It it it, it is a well-written book, and um, I'm not joking, guys, when I say it's a coming-of-age story. Was it your intent to, uh, because you just got on the preacher's block from one <laughs> chapter to the next, and we start, <laughs> we start reading what I'm thinking is going to be a sweet little memoir, then you take us to the mountaintop with Martin Luther King and, <laughs> and uh, Malcolm X, and then we go on to another preacher's block, and you just go for it. You're just saying, what brought that? Was that premeditated? It, it was not. Um, there were many subjects in the book that I'll, I'll quickly tell you that the, the inspiration actually behind writing the book was... Um, 
a story from my children when I got out of the hospital. Mm -hmm. So um, for those that'll pick up the book and, and learn a little bit about it, um, at the age of 39 years old, I actually died. Um, I died legally or clinically, I guess, for over six minutes several times. Um, and the only thing that was able to save my life was a heart transplant. And that was something that my wife and children actually had to make a decision about because I died so quickly. It was within a couple of days. Um, so that was a pretty crazy journey in and of itself. And that's one small part of the book. Mm -hmm. But coming out of that, um, I, I started getting more involved in my kid's life, right? Um, it was one of the first kind of revelations that God had for me was that I had not been as active of a participant as a dad as I would have liked. And and in doing so, what I discovered was something that my 14-year-old my now, but 11 at the time, told me was that um, he said, I would always say tomorrow. And mm. that, that cut me pretty deep, I think, at the time because he was being honest, but Anytime he would ask me to do something with him or to play catch or to play sports or do anything, I would always tell him tomorrow because I was so focused on my business and work and, uh, and I always just put my head down and kept moving forward. Um, and oftentimes kind of just bulldozing my family along the way. Mm -hmm. um, and so that was the initial inspiration for the book, but I think it was very much God-led. Um, you know, I sat down to start writing and God just, I mean, he would wake me up every night at two or three o'clock in the morning. And I wrote this book within seven months, I think. Wow. Um, and so it was a very quick book written, but it was, it was something that, um, God just wouldn't let me stop. And there were, there were multiple topics yes. <laughs> um, yes. that, um, I, I had no intention of tackling mm -hmm. things that I was going to absolutely stay away from given today's culture and, um, and the, you know, the mindset of a lot of people when it comes to, you know, people feeling like you're talking about something that's outside your place. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and, and God just wouldn't let me let it go. He was like, your, your book's not finished. Yeah. And, you know, and that was what ultimately led to all the different things that I, you know, just one by one, you know, he gave me that strength and the courage to say, doesn't matter what people say, doesn't matter how big the book gets, just say what I'm revealing to you um, so that the audience can hear it and awesome. so that people get the message. Wow, and several messages you have in here. Um, let me commend you on a wonderful writing job. The book is very well <laughs> written. You. Yes, and, um, the flashback writing we talk about all the time. <laughs> yes. And you did an excellent job because usually you lose people when you try to flashback write. Yes. Yes. But you don't. Well, thank you. You yeah. know, it has me grasping for, okay, wait a minute, he done left that hospital again. <laughs> well, when is he getting back to this hospital? Is it a stroke? Is it a heart attack? What is wrong? What, what is, is going what? on? Yeah, yeah. Is he got COVID? Is he what? I mean, yeah. you, you, you grab the person and pull them in yeah. till they just going with you like every chapter, like, okay, how much more he going to give us? Yeah. You know? Yes. Yes. I, I, I hope so. I, you know, I, for me, I always wanted to write a book. If I, if I could, I wanted to write where I would kind of break the fourth wall. You know, I, I grew up a theater kid, and, and I had this aspiration to go to Hollywood and do movies. And, you know, and my life didn't go that direction. But I, I thought to myself, a, a movie grips you in a certain way. It, it keeps you on the edge of your seat. It captivates you. And I think part of the reason why it does is because it makes you... It makes you think and how to, how to apply it to your own life. 
And so for me, it was about wanting to ask, ask the reader questions as if we were having a conversation. Mm -hmm. and and to continue to tell the story along the way you know and and kind of I guess trying to write in a way that was more conversational than I'm gonna you know I'm gonna tell you my opinion and this is fact it's it's you know it's gospel right mm -hmm. or that it's um, it's the only way to think right. Right? right and and I wanted to make sure that I was inclusive or or left room for other people's thoughts and ideas and for hopefully for them to be able to even you know if they want to contact me to engage me and you know I mean and, and be able to have further discussion even beyond the book yeah so. and definitely the way you present your book it's it's open for that because I actually when you started talking about the uh, chapter on abortion I wanted to pick up the phone and tell you a thing or two but <laughs> I'm you know what, Joy? Let me tell you, I bought that up at the hair salon. I was getting my hair done, and I was reading. Uh -huh. And, you know, everybody knows about me and the books, right? Yeah, and they yeah. say, like, what are you reading? I told them all about, oh, and he's from Plano, and blah, blah, blah. And just was going on, and then I got to that, and everybody started looking at me like they wanted to jump on me. I didn't say this. This what he say. I say, but really, he makes you think. You I, do, I mean, it does because that seed, that, that didn't just come from her, and it just populated into a baby. Yes. It wouldn't yes. have been without that man. Yeah. And what gives him, what makes you say he doesn't have a say? Yeah. yeah it it, it's not fair. It, it does open up several different perspectives. On right. such a, a hot topic, but you do that. <laughs> one of those ones you, I want to stay away from. <laughs> but you did a good job with it. Stay Thank away you. from it. Yes. Like, I, I agree, Rose. He did an excellent. You job. did because yeah. you made me think, and I'm a thinker. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Now, honestly, you had me from from the very first chapter. Each chapter, you go into a different topic, and you deal with life-sustaining and provoking issues, and uh, you really gripped me when you when we get, I think, around chapter three, and you start talking about leadership, and um, I was I was very impressed, and you 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 made quite a few points about leadership and dealing with it from a male perspective. And I just think that it's a topic that we don't leave on the table long enough and often enough to really make it hit home. What are some of the main points that you wanted your reader to grasp from that leadership chapter? So with all of it, really, I, I mean, throughout the book, it was, I think, layered with, you know, with an essence of leadership in that, you know, it, it doesn't matter which direction you want to go with it. If you want to go biblical, obviously, the the Bible says we're supposed to lead, right? Yes. And lead well. And I think that's something that has and is missing in society. It's it's not just, you know, I, I, I watch a lot of content and I, I see a lot of people argue back and forth about, well, I don't want to do this. Well, I don't want to do that. Well, I, I'm not going to submit to leadership. And I mean... The, the title of my book, Submit, right? That that word in our society today has a negative connotation. But I think people forget the part where it's lead well. Yeah. It's, it's not just lead, it's mm -hmm. lead well. And if you're leading well as a man, I think that starts a dialogue yes. of how can we get better? 
-hmm. It's not going to be perfect. It'll never be perfect. But can we start to have a dialogue? And can we start to have a conversation about these real issues, these real topics? Because I, I, I grew up in it, as I, as I outline in the book, and when you, when you look at any of these subjects, most of the time it's an area where people want to be heard. And I don't know anyone, doesn't matter who you are, doesn't matter black, white, brown, yellow, green, doesn't matter, man or woman, doesn't matter, child, adult, doesn't matter. If you don't feel heard, you feel some kind of way about it. Definitely, definitely. And it doesn't matter what relationship either. Um, just in family relationships, if it's between the husband and the wife, right. the, the parents and the child, between the siblings, you know, mm -hmm. we, we want to feel that we have been heard. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. I'd like to read something I had highlighted uh, okay. from the book. He said, leadership is not about being loved by everyone, but about loving everyone more. Yes. Let that sink in. Believe me, it burned a hole in my brain for a while. Wanting to be loved is a great feeling, but needing that from hundreds or thousands of people is a hole that can't be filled. Yes. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I draw that from my personal experience of, as I said, wanting to be a theater kid. I think there's a certain aspirational aspect to a lot of that. You know, the, the fame, the success. And, and if you really step back and ask yourself, why am I doing it? Mm -hmm. Right? Is it, is it because I love the craft? Which for some people, that's true. Yes. But course. for me, it wasn't about the craft. For me, it was about the admiration. It was about the, 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 the ego boost that you get from a great performance, a beloved segment. And, and I think therein lies one of the root problems that a lot of people today have. We now have things like social media that create this environment where men and women can go out there and seek and gain as much either validation or rejection as they want at any moment in any given day. And that can build you way up or it can mm -hmm. tear you way down. Yes. And if you're if you're constantly on that roller coaster, you're not getting the validation from God and you're not getting the validation from those that really love you, that really care about you and, and, and are invested in your life success. And that's where I think a lot of people's lives go off the rails. And I think you're right. You definitely hit on some very good points. When Right before you talk and during your chapter on leadership, you talk a little bit about victimization and uh, freeing oneself, <laughs> freeing oneself from the uh, the victim mentality. How important is that in our development as as people to 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 mature levels? You know, how do we step away? Because you definitely, and listen, you guys have to get the book because we're not going to tell you everything that happened <laughs> in the book. We're not going to do that this, on, with this book because this is a book that's full of meat. You know, when I was reading the book, one thing I said, this is how I wanted to introduce the book, is that with Heart to Submit, you deliver a full course meal. I mean, it's meat, it's potatoes, you put the gravy on top, you put a little bit on the side. And give you some, some dessert, too. It's a full-course meal, I'm telling you. It is a man's 
meal, a hearty meal. And so be prepared when you get this book to really do some soul searching and to actually have some aspects of your belief system challenged. Yeah. And I think you did that, you know, especially when you start talking about freeing oneself from that victim mentality. How do you uh, suggest we start that process? It's hard. It um, definitely. It's, it's very hard. I think um, there's a few factors, right? Um, mm -hmm. One, um, being a victim in and of itself means that you, you feel a certain level of retribution is owed to you, right? Yeah. You, you feel like something has happened that you should receive compensation for. You know that's so true. And I think you have to first start to reconcile that if you, if you really get out there, if you start to share your story, if you start to listen more than you speak, you'll hear that everyone has something that they need to be compensated. Mm -hmm. So if everyone has something, then who really does? You have to then let go of that mentality of like, I want to be a victim because I want to be a victim. For whatever reason, whatever happened to you, I, I mean, it, you, get in the, you get involved in your church, you get involved in your school, you get involved in your business, doesn't matter where you are in your immediate circle. If you ask the question, you will find hundreds of, of stories of successes and failures and and triumphs there's there's peaks and valleys in everyone's story and so this need that we have in society to outdo one another with who's the greatest victim it doesn't bring you power and and i think what i really hoped to highlight with that was that until you give it away until you let go of needing to be that victim and say I survived, I'm a survivor. There's where your power is. Not in being a victim, but saying I survived whatever it was. So now how can I move forward with that? And that's where, you know, it, it, one of my favorite parts, if I can have a favorite part, is, is really talking about, because it's very personal to me, it's very personal my story, but when you've been through a, a, any level of trial, alcohol abuse, uh, divorced family, like sexual abuse, it doesn't matter what it is, that power that you gain from being a survivor of that allows you to go out and help others. And you can reach people that other people can't reach because it's your story, it's personal. And, and you can connect with them and I think that's why God empowers us to do it. I think he gives us that power for that very reason. Because he's looking, he, I mean, the Bible says he's, he wants to save the one, not the 99 that are still over there in the pen, but he wants to save the one. And he can empower you to have that story, to be able to go out and lead that one sheep back to the flock. Well, that's your job. Yeah. You know what I'd like to see you do? Because you made a statement that if a person has low self-worth, yeah. then there's a risk that person will become a victim. Yeah. So talk to the person that may be a victim and tell them how to rise above it. I mean, self-worth is something that, it, one, nobody can take it from you, right? You, you have to realize that. And, and I, I mean, 
it, you know, it, it's not my job to convert anybody to the gospel. I mean, it, if your faith is Christian and you believe that, that, that Jesus died on the cross for you and, and gave his life, then, you know, then, then you already have the answer. The answer is, is you find your validation and your worth in God. God created you and everything about you is exactly what God intended. He's sovereign and so your life and therefore your circumstances are perfect. You may not like them, but the things that you go through, he brings you through them for a purpose. And until you're willing to acknowledge that you need to, to, to take hold of that purpose and walk with it and, and embrace it, then you're going to stay a victim. You're going to stay feeling like you have to find your self-worth somewhere else. And he's, he's already given you the tools to say, if you just come to me and give it to me, I'll take it and I'll carry it. And, and I think that's where they need to go. Um, you know, it, outside of finding your own religious belief and, and finding the gospel there and finding that relationship with God, I mean, I can't honestly say that I know how you would find that self-worth because right. you're, gonna, you're gonna chase it like a hamster on a wheel, yeah. you know? And, and it's hard to, to go out here into society and, and hope that society is gonna give you some self-worth because as quickly as they give it they'll take it back yeah. but you know what their goals um their lies the glory in believing in that higher power a higher source because we have to have a standard to say okay christianity's standard and christianity's highest source is god almighty yeah. And and so our standard lies between the pages of the Holy Bible, you know. And if that is what our belief system is and our standard is, when we study that word of God, when we learn the precepts of how he sees us, then we can discover our value and our worth. And I love how you said how you keep chasing it. It is so true, yeah. you know, because you will. Why? Because you have faith to believe that there is more. Yeah. You see? Absolutely. And when, when you don't believe or don't feel like there's more or a better place or more for you, then it's easy to slip into a state of hopelessness. Yeah. So um, I think that is just amazing how you took so many um, fire burning topics. <laughs> <laughs> you make me search in my mind. Yeah, but um, That's you know, a good way to describe it. we've been we've been doing this. We've been reading a lot of books over the past. Um, it's really been more than twelve years. But uh, it's 12 seasons for the Christian Literary Awards. But we've actually, as a team, been reading and reviewing books for 21 years. You know, we started out as a book club. So I say that to say, over this span of time, we've had a lot of topics come across our table and read a lot of books. But, but I he bought them all you, together you, in one book. You <laughs> bought them all together in one book, and you brought a different perspective. And that's what I want to invite you and why I want to encourage you to pick up a copy of this book, Heart to Submit, The First Step Towards Life is Heart Failure. Because not only are you putting the topics out there, but you're bringing a fresh 
and, and maybe not so fresh, but you're bringing a different perspective. You're speaking strictly from a black man's point of view, first of all, and that was interesting. And um, so that brings up to me the thing that I really wanted to talk to you about because I was searching through all the titles over the years that we've gone through and never has this topic, and correct me if I'm wrong, Rose, have we dealt with it. The devaluation of man, and you went there in this book, and you talk about how the position and the role of the quote-unquote male man has been devalued. And I want to talk, yeah. do, do you recall us talking about no, that? No, not, not to the depth that he has. Yes, yeah, yeah. That, that, that's a conversation I want to have. <laughs> okay, <laughs> let's go there. Go there. <laughs> what, first of all, what brought it to life for you, and why is it a conversation that we have to have? It's a conversation we have to have because nobody's having it. Mm -hmm. I agree. I think that, I mean, so when I, when I sat down to really start writing this, and I started writing, and I got off into it, and I said to myself, like, the prayer that I continued to ask God for was to continue to give me the strength to not only push and finish this, but to to not be afraid to put it out there. I mean, not just for public criticism of just being an author and, and having never had an aspiration to even write a book, but for the criticism of all the topics that I take on. But I think to myself that it's like, I have two boys at home. I have two boys and a girl, and my two boys are growing up in this world just like everyone else. And I sit back and I watch television, and I watch movies, and I watch media, and they are constantly devaluing the male role they're they're taking away the the nuclear family they're taking away the ability for a man to be the 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 position that he needs to be in a family i mean i grew up with a great father who was there every single day and showed me how to work hard and showed me discipline but he also taught me how to not be a victim he told me how life and society is not going to make apologies for you right they're not going to give you second chances and third chances and fourth chances you have to show up and be ready when the time and the opportunity presents itself in front of you and i think that message is a message that really needs to come from a dad yeah. right mom has her place and her role and her role is vital and important in the family and in life and society but it's not just even the nuclear family that i think my book touches on it's talking about just the male role in general across just society right our 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 communities are fractured because there's not enough men even in families that are still together there's not enough men standing up and saying i gotta stand up for this i gotta speak out because it's wrong and yes. because it's wrong i gotta say it's wrong Yes. And I think that was something that, you know, for me, that was a, a huge motivation yeah. in why I, I tackled some of these things because I had to say, like, I sat back for years and I, I complained in my, my bedroom and, 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 you know, told my wife all the things that are just wrong with TV and media and all this stuff. But nobody ever speaks up. Right. Nobody speaks up to the public. They, right. they complain in their houses and, and they, you know, and in essence, stay silent. Right. And and having a mom who was growing up, she's a judge, still is, it, being silent is being complicit. Yes, yes. 
You know, I liked in the book that you actually gave specific examples of how that uh, devaluation is taking place right before our very eyes. <laughs> yes. And we're, we're guilty of it with our sons, our uh, nephews, you know, and we're, we, we're creating, and I like, this is my term, y'all. This man did not say this in his book, okay? <laughs> <laughs> this, this is what I call it. We're creating monsters. And when they get full blown monsters, we can't as the mother, we can't control them, we can't deal with them. You know, where where do we find the remedy? Right. Well, and and that's what I think we as a collective, right? We have to we have to as a society come back to some some baseline of one morality i think um two i think we have to stop being so angry with one another and have open dialogue i mean one of the things that i hope i get across in my book is this is a book about building up relationships not just with your spouse or your children but right. with everyone and if you're building healthy relationships that means that you have to have the emotional maturity to have tough conversations and tough conversations means I I can disagree with you and you can disagree with me but we still have mutual respect for one another and mutual respect means I'm gonna listen to your concepts mm -hmm. I'm gonna listen to your ideas and I'm gonna say hey like if if I hear something that I feel is right great if I hear something that I disagree with I'm gonna tell you that I disagree with it but at the end of the day we don't have to be enemies we don't have to hate each other we don't have to blast each other we don't have to cancel one another you know this societal culture that we've created where it's like if if I don't like what you're saying I hate you it's like that is the absolute exact opposite of tolerance but yet that's what I hear every young person saying is like we've got to be more tolerant more tolerant well in your in your journey to try to be more tolerant you're being exceptionally intolerant of anybody that's not exactly like you how does that society work yeah yeah you know the your uh, thinking process about all of this before you had the heart attack did you have those same concepts and feelings? Oh, wow. Good question. <laughs> because really I'm going back question. to the book because I, I, I know the struggle you went through and may still do dealing with somebody else's heart and those emotions <laughs> yeah. and that feeling and, and really still having soul ties to what that individual had. Yeah. So is part of him coming out or him? You know, or is it all what you were before the 39 happened? No, it was, it, it's mostly me. Um, I think what death did for me was it gave, it, it gave me the courage to say what I had wanted to say for a long time. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, when I, you know, obviously an, I, another one of the themes in the book is about it, how precious your time is, right? Mm -hmm. yes, and I think, I think most of us walk through life with just a certain expectation that like, oh, well, I'll, I'll, I'll plan for death when I get somewhere in my 60s or 70s or whatever that number is, right, that we just kind of have in our head. And we're always living this very futuristic life. We're not living in the here and now, despite what the 
the Lord's Prayer says about our daily bread, we're living like four years, five years, ten years into the future always. Well, when I get my kids off to college, well, when I, you know, get that promotion, when I get, when I, when I, right, that is an expression that has become common culture for all of us, is that we live that way. I did, right? Yeah. Up until I was 39, I, I mean, my family went on a trip. My, my wife and the kids went down to visit our in-laws, or my in-laws, I should say, her parents. Um, and, you know, and I was going to join them that weekend. Next thing I know, I get sick. Within less than 40 days, I was dead, right? That was it. I mean, I was rock climbing with my kids. I hadn't been to the doctor in eight years. So you don't know when your last day is coming. And I think what I learned out of all of this was that, like, it's, it's not my money that's important. It's not my business. It's not my accolades. It's not my ego or whatever I accomplish in this lifetime. It's the time that I spend with the people that I say are the most important to me. And if, and if that's God, if that's my wife, if that's my kids, if that's my parents, her parents, like whoever that is, if I don't live that way, then I'm being dishonest. And I think that's where the courage to say, you know what, I need to sit down and do this. And that's where it came from. And, you know, and it was something that I'd felt was wrong for a long time because there was so much of a movement of, you know, um, female empowerment I guess is a way to frame it but I don't think it's that I mean because nobody has a problem with female empowerment I mean everybody wants women to feel like they can accomplish and do whatever it is that they want to do in life but I think where the family unit has done a huge disservice is we're not teaching our young men how to lead a family and we're not teaching our, our girls how to be a part of a family and I think therein lies a huge struggle right? It, two people that both want to be CEO are going to have a real hard time figuring out who's in charge, right? And so that's a problem. One person that can't be CEO very well or doesn't know how, but is supposed to be, I mean, every time he makes a mistake, he's got another CEO right there in the waiting that's telling him, hey, you did this, this, and this. This is how I would have done it different, right? That makes for very difficult cohabitation. It does, right? And, it does. And the and the kids see that, and then that precipitates to the next generation. And now we've created a culture where it's like, well, we disagree. Divorce. Yeah. Yeah. So. And you know, the, I don't want to discard your um, your heart attack. Uh, I don't want to discard what you went through. I know how that uh, changed you. It made you really commit and get your walk where it needs to be like it is now. <laughs> yeah. But you know what I feel changed the trajectory of your life? J.C. Penny and oh, that security yeah. guard. <laughs> yes, because if he had not given you that chance, oh, yeah. if he had not made that prayer yes. to yeah. let you walk away, you might not be sitting here with us oh, today. I, I wouldn't be. And your whole life would have took a whole nother route. But to me, that moment, God planted a seed because he prayed about where you were going. He presented to you where was your faith then yes. at 17. Yeah, yes. absolutely. And it took 39 for him to wheel you in and say, yeah. let's, let's get this yeah. together now. Right. No, it did. That was definitely you're, a game you're changer. You're absolutely right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It was. It, I mean, I, I say, I tell people all the time, God's been pursuing me my whole life. 
Yes. I just wasn't listening. Yes. <laughs> you know. But. I just, I just, when I was reading the story and I kept looking at all the, everything you were going through and I, I kept seeing, it's that security guard, man. Yeah. He, he did it for him. Yeah. He did. Yeah. He did. And I think that, that right there is a great, it's a great example of Christian faith lived out. Yes. Because yeah. I think we, we always, as people, we're so quick to want our pound of flesh, right? We want our retribution. We want what's owed to us when somebody wrongs us. And it's like, if more often than not, if we would just say, you know what? I'm going to extend grace wow. instead. Yes. That's a big yes. word. Yeah. Extend it, that yes. grace. Right. I mean, yeah. because you're right. Him making that choice could have ruined my life. Mm-hmm. Or save my life. Yes. Mm-hmm. But without him being there, being in that role, being that man, having his walk, his faith, who knows where it ends. And he presented so much to you. He laid he a did. lot out in those few did. little minutes. He did. Yeah. He, he made did. you look at your life and say, where are you headed? What right. do you desire to do? What do you want to become? Right. What are your plans? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and I just, this is, this is just me wanting to know. Who did you get? Who did he call? Did he call your? Did you get your mama number or your daddy number? <laughs> I was like, oh my God! You know, he that part get? of your story really messed with her. That's, she she, yeah, she, she yeah. was telling me about girl. What did you think about that? <laughs> I was like, oh my so, God! Who did? Who gonna call? Who go? Who he gonna get? So at that <laughs> moment, it was a tough decision because I'm like, okay, is my mom? <laughs> Is my mom in court, <laughs> or is or is my dad is is my dad at work and won't answer? Because that's what I was that's what I was hoping for. Is like who whose number can I give him right now that's not gonna answer? <laughs> and, and I'm thinking, and, then, and I'm thinking, he he doomed. Like you said, you was doomed either way because your dad was gonna get you, oh yeah, and your mama was gonna get you. It was like it it was no mercy. No, it wasn't. So. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, I mean, yeah, funny story. My mom actually, because she's a judge, she actually one day took me to the jail and put me in a jail cell when I was about 11 or 12 years old for a little bit. And, uh, yeah, it was, I mean, it, it's one of those intense moments that you don't ever forget. But, yes. but no, um, in the end, I think I actually gave my dad's number um, because I was hoping that he was going to be, he at that time he worked in construction, and yes. I was hoping that he was going to be out on the job site and not hear his phone. And 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 maybe I'd maybe I'd be okay. <laughs> but, but a little strategy yeah. there. Listen, yeah. guys, you're tuned in to the review with Joy and Company. We're on the second wing tonight, and we're visiting with Glenn White the second. We're talking about his book, Heart to Submit: The First Step Towards Life Is Heart Failure. And uh, there is a play, play on words here in so many directions, but you have to visit us and get a copy of this book so you can find out just what it is. So many topics that he's turning over. You know, he's kind of stirring the pot. And um, <laughs> this is a great book for you to go through for summer Bible studies uh, with your men's group, especially if you have a young adult men's group, because he he's laying it out on the carpet and giving some new and different perspectives. And I don't like to use the word new because they're really not new, but he's voicing perspectives that probably a lot of us are feeling and we just don't put it out on the table and talk about it and I have another one that I want to 
put out there. Before you, you do, let me yes. let me get some say hello to some of these people okay. and their comments. First of all, <laughs> Jerry had said, I'm having to leave early to prepare for a road trip tomorrow. May you all have a blessed evening. Thank you, Jerry. Deborah Fontenot says, Great show. I love it. Thank uh, you. Uh Miss Green, May Green of Celebrating Me says, Congratulations on season twelve. Oh, thank you, May. And uh, Dr. Kevin E. Henry says, hi, ladies. Uh, Stella Alexander says, hello, Joint Company, the number one platform for Christian and inspirational literature. Thank you, Stella. Stella also says, I wish many of our sons, brothers, uncles, fathers, cousins, and friends read this book. Ask God to prepare you to receive and understand what God has given this brother to share. Yes. That's a great compliment. That is. Thank you. Yeah. Wow. Jana Lewis Perez says, Miss Joyce says, this is all my terminology. Let me indemnify Victor. Laugh out loud. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Jana. I'm just going to leave it at that. <laughs> and Stella says, life is today. Live it now according to the word of God. And she says this is a very good interview and review. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Glenn, I want to, I'm, I, I hope you don't feel like I'm just staying on this with the devaluation of the man. But no. I really love the points that you brought out. And you, you did something that I don't see happening enough, in, in it, particularly across pulpits and in, and in uh, churches because th we look to our ministers as leaders you know Absolutely. and children grow up and other than the men in your family your uncles your dad your big brothers you look to the people in the, in your church if you're brought up in in church you know yeah, as your secondary source of leadership there and you decide in this book to talk about putting male and females labels on the same playing field. In other words, you're saying what's good for the goose is good for the gander, but we have to reverse it too. And you're saying why is it that men don't talk about themselves? You know, you have these high standards that you want for a lady, but are you ready to reciprocate those standards? Absolutely. Let's talk about your discussion on that. Absolutely. I think that there's a certain level of hypocrisy that I notice among, I mean, particularly our young people today. They talk about it on, on, on social media all the time. And there's this, there's this general acceptance that like, oh, men will just be men. And men are just going to do what men do. But women have to be different. And I think therein lies one of the issues. Because the way I see it is, is if, if you're a leader... You're a leader in all aspects of your life, first of all. It's not compartmentalized. Second of all, when you're leading well, then you have to be willing to do the things that you ask of someone else, yes, right? If yes. I'm, if I'm going to ask my child to be disciplined, I should be disciplined, right? If I'm going to ask my wife to submit to me, I should submit to a higher power, right? I'm not a perfect human being, so it, who am I to ask someone to submit and, and to give that level of vulnerability about themselves and their life over to me if I'm not willing to do the same. I think there's a, an incredible amount of hypocrisy in that. And we can nail it all the way down to just the, um, the sexual morality that we have as a society today. It's like, it, 
I hear a lot of people arguing about this topic all the time. Women are like, well, we should be able to do what men do. And men are saying, well, you know, the way we do it is different than what you guys are doing. It's like, first of all, why? Let's, let's put that conversation on the table. Why is it different? Because I think there's a lot of people that don't want to have that conversation. And there's this like just general systemic brainwashing of like that's just the way society is. The second part is you take that female comment. Well, I want to be like men. Well, who said we got it right? Yeah. Right? Obviously, I mean, y'all don't have it. <laughs> I mean, but honestly i think if you look at it like this I, I see a lot of men and i watch a lot of men podcasts and a lot of channels and a lot of things and one of the things that i see that's an inherent problem is like they don't like the way that women are behaving now and women are going out and they're 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 having this masculine energy and they're they're being more like men when it comes to sexual partners and different things without their life and it's like at what point are you going to look at yourself and say how did i lead how did I lead as a father, as an example for my girls? How did I lead as a, as a man out here in society? How did I lead as a, as a, as a man who says, I want to be the leader in every room that I walk into. If I'm going to be that man, if I'm going to be the CEO in the boardroom, I'm going to be the CEO in the bedroom. I'm going to be the CEO in every aspect of my life. Well, then you need to examine your life because attitude reflects leadership. Yeah. And if and if women are doing it so wrong now because they want to be like us, well, maybe what you don't like is that they're shining a mirror on you. Ooh. And I think that's something that people have to at least be willing to have the conversation about. I think that if men want women to act differently, be different, why don't you start with you being different? And you know what? I think it starts on that parenting level. I've been waiting many years to say this. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm getting to piggyback off of a man, so I feel covered. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I'm really joking. But no, the thing, one of my strong pet peeves is we raise our little boys to grow up and have fun and sow their oats and choose and look for a quote-unquote good girl to marry, you know. And so, you you know, you got your certain girls that you're running around with and you got your little good church girl that you want to marry or what have you. But if we want to really level the playing field, then we have to raise our sons to be good guys. Yep. You know, and absolutely. I don't see that happening. I really don't. I do. I think that I think you're absolutely right. I think that it starts on both sides because we have to look at ourselves and say, okay, like, what am I doing as a dad, right? What mixed message am I sending that's different from my son, that's different from my daughter, right? If, I, if I'm if i okay with my son being a whore, I should be okay with my daughter being a whore, Ooh. right? Let's Isn't just call it, it what it is, yes. yeah. right? And, Let's and call I it what it is. See, I wasn't I mean, going to say that like that, but I'm glad <laughs> but, you did, you know, because I feel it. And, <laughs> yeah. and Stella, Stella is on board with y'all. She said, very good. How did I lead? Yeah, exactly. I mean, exactly. You, your leadership within your family is a reflection of what's going on in today's society, right? Men are complaining about all these women on OnlyFans, okay, mm -hmm. right? We all know about it. We all know about all the things that you can find and get into on the internet. Well, who's asking, who's asking the fathers of those girls, did you fail? Mm -hmm. did you, was there something more that you could have done, right? Who's asking all the men in society that are consuming those things? 
you want it to be different, right? Men are complaining now and they're going overseas and they're shipping in women and they're doing all these different things. And it's like, and hey, you want to do that? Do what you want. But the reality is, is that that's not going to solve the problem. And if you're really a leader, then you have to be looking for a real solution. And the solution is not, well, I'm going to start importing women that aren't a part of this culture. What you have to go back and look at is something that's much more difficult. And that is, what did I do wrong? How am I moving differently? Because if you continue to participate, if you continue to consume internet porn, if you continue to take part in OnlyFans, if you continue to look at all these things that you're doing and saying, well, it's okay for me, but it's not for them, well, then you're going to lead our world into a destruction of the same hypocrisy that we've been seeing. Yes, you're absolutely right. And you know, Glenn, the thing that I love what you did with this book, it's not your personal philosophy that you put in, in this book that you want to, he's not, he's not trying to get you to adapt his philosophy and to believe the way he believes or what have you. He's just putting out conditions and, um, you know, things that we're living through every day and challenging your thoughts on them. You know, something to think about. How are you addressing this in your personal life? How are you addressing this within your business life? How are you addressing this with your children? Because if we really believe that the children are our future, we have to really evaluate how we're preparing them for that Absolutely. Future. But the you thing know? that Glenn does, too, is he goes back and applies everything to what God expects of you. Yes, he yeah. does. He does. Yeah. And it is the word of God. But you know, while I'm sitting down here, Glenn, I have to say this. I'm listening to you, and I'm thinking, <laughs> oh, man. If I could just have James Baldwin sitting here at this time. <laughs> okay. <laughs> this is a conversation for James Baldwin. If he could be sitting here at this table with us tonight, this would go really viral. <laughs> yes, it would. I think it would. No, but, it, you know, it's a beautiful thing when minds come together because that is what evokes change. Yeah. And God knows we are due for a change. It's time. It's time. Yeah. I um, I was having a conversation with my brother just last night, and about the epic of the I don't remember the name of the drug that's out there, but we were talking about drugs and how it's affecting the young men in our society, particularly black men, you know, our young adults, and um, just the the draining of it and what's out there now how it's just killing so many people and i'm thinking wow we books like this we need to put in these kids hands but we have to you know encourage them to read it of course but there's so many conversations of that nature that we're just looking over we're passing over and, and, and putting band-aids on them yeah. And we have to, and it does take courage, I'm telling you, because right now my insides are kind of shaking a little bit. Because <laughs> it does take a certain level of courage to have these types of conversation. And I'm very proud of you for putting and, and stepping in that walk, that courage to put these, uh, to open up these conversations in your book. Yeah. Good job. You know. Thank you. Uh, it's easier for women, I think, to become transparent and to be vulnerable 
and to open up and discuss hard conversations in their books. I don't find it quite so easy for men to do it. And uh, there are exceptions to every rule. We do know that. Um, but I'm really glad that you stepped out there with this book like this. So, guys, pick it up. A Heart to Submit, The First Step Towards Life is Hard to Fail You. Um, I don't know what we are on time. Uh, do we have to say hello to anyone else? I just want to Stella's last comment was TED Talk. Oh. <laughs> 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 yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Now, you guys, you and Rose kind of got into this conversation before we came on air. And I really wanted, this is the most interesting cover <laughs> that I've seen in a while. So give us a little story. I know this cover has a backstory behind it. Share with our audience a little bit of the backstory behind your cover. Absolutely. Um, so my wife is a photographer and when it, it was an interesting journey that i had with my with my heart failure and my transplant i mean uh, there's no history of heart failure in my family at all and as i said earlier i was perfectly healthy before this happened and so all of a sudden to be faced with coronary heart failure and my heart be pumping at like seven percent um was pretty insane overnight and the incredible doctors at both Parkland and, and Baylor saved my life, and I, I, they woke me up on May 4th, 2020, and I had about 19 days in the hospital. And then when I came home from the hospital, um, I came home to our house, and the first photo that we took was was me and her just sitting in our sitting in our bed and our feet just happened to go together and she snapped a photo of it and it was a great photo and I felt like you know it was, it was so artistic and you know and and I really wanted to use it for multiple reasons but one I felt like it was very provocative you know um, most people either love feet or hate feet so you kind of as soon as you see it you feel some kind of way about it I did right? I did I hate feet <laughs> <laughs> and so that's the first thing. And then the second thing is, is like, as you read the title and you see it and you really start to take it all in, it, it has so many dimensions and layers and textures to it that, you know, I've, I've ran across so many people that see something different in it every time I talk to them about it. And, and that also I felt like made for an interesting book cover. Yeah. And, and so it was, you know, it was a no brainer for me because it was obviously very personal, mm -hmm. um, that it was, you know, kind of that first, you know, capturable moment after, you know, my life being saved. Um, and all the crazy mountains that God moved to, to keep me here. Um, but it's, uh, you know, but it was also that, uh, you know, I, I felt like it would stand out. And, you know, and, and my ultimate goal here was to hopefully get, uh, you know, get the message out to as many people as I could. Yeah. Well, hopefully we can help you do that. So listen, guys, visit us at joyandcompany.org. Pick up a copy of Heart to Submit, the first step towards life uh, towards life is heart failure and um, yeah that whole it, it makes a new it gives you a new perspective on to be born again because when you have that heart failure and you are you can say that I died I was dead for six minutes just documented clinical or what have you um, that is new life yeah. literally speaking 
you know, lot of, and, and we, we keep talking over and over again about the uh, difficult topics that you are discussing in here. Was there any one particular chapter that was hardest or harder for you to write and why? So what, what pulled on you the most? What pulled on me the most? Um, um, I would say, I mean, chapter one obviously was hard. Um, you know, the sexual abuse that I went through as a child, that was something that was obviously very difficult. That was something that, I mean, prior to this book, so there's there's many nuggets in here, but that is something that's actually unknown to or was when this book came out to most of my family. Um, the story about the 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 gentleman at Collin Creek Mall. Um, that was also unknown to most of the people in my family. Um, you know, they, they didn't answer that day, and so then the gentleman ended up letting me go, and I, I never talked about it with friends or family or anyone. Um, it was something that was just kind of intimate and personal to me. So that was a tough chapter. Um, I think the abortion chapter was certainly one that required a lot of courage on my part yeah. um it was one of the, it was actually the last chapter that i wrote um mm. and um as i said i mean god just kept putting on my heart that the book isn't finished and that you need to address this and you know and i will say that you know no matter where a person falls on the line of pro-choice or pro-life i think that the one thing that i really hope that people take away from it is that it it needs to be a human issue not a woman's issue or a man's issue or any of that. I mean, I think as a society, there's just too many things that we segregate on and that we that we put in there as it's it's your problem, it's my problem, and and that's not going to lead to change. And I think, you know, the one that was probably the hardest for me, truly the hardest, was racism. Um, that was something that I experienced on both sides for so long and and you know and it's funny um, growing up in an all-white society um, and experiencing racism as a child there's something about that that I was easier I was able to forgive easier than I was when I started experiencing racism from my own black community um, and I think it's because it in society, we have this expectation that you can or will encounter racism from other races, but when you encounter it from your own people, it, it cuts deeper and it scars longer. Yeah. And for a long time, um, it, it took me years and years of my life, and it took God for me to, to let go of a lot of that and to put that in the book and to bring all that back up and to talk about it so um, so vulnerably and naked um, the way that it was um, was really difficult and mm -hmm. so I think that was probably probably was and is still the hardest one for me to to really look at um, you know um, yeah I was ready to go on the porch with you in that yeah. rain yeah. I, 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 I was I, I was about to I said oh no it did, no 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 yeah, no no, well, no I'm not gonna just stand out here all calm yeah that was <laughs> I mean, night. you just had so much humility yeah, through was, everything that you went through. That was a tough night. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's. But what I could he, he do in that, that night? He, what, I think what, he, what else could he do? But then, but the but thing about it is, he didn't even tell his parents. No, he kept yeah, it. Yeah. He kept so much. Yeah. Well, you know, I. I guess it's one of those moments where you know, 
my parents were working really hard to give me an incredible life. Um, and I think there's a lot of things that parents keep from their kids. And I don't know right or wrong, but I, there's a lot of things as parents we like to try to shield our kids from. And there's a lot of things that as kids we shield our parents from, right? And, and, we, and we both kind of do that back and forth. And I think one of the fundamental problems in that, and, and one of the things that I talk to my kids about often, is that we all have to go to hell to be able to find our true relationship and faith with God in this life. We go through so many trials and so many painful things, so many hard things, really hard things, and then we grow up and we become parents, and all we wanna do is shield our kids from every hard, difficult thing that they could ever encounter. And 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 what I hope that my book will, will th make people think about is, if it took everything in your life for you to find God, what makes you think it's going to take any less for your children to find Him? And what's more important, your comfort or their salvation? Wow. I know time is winding down, but it's one more thing that, that, <laughs> that I want to address that you, that you mentioned. Going back to the sexual abuse, you said parents prepare their children for the stranger. Yeah. But they don't prepare them, prepare them for the person that's not the stranger. No, no, we don't. Because inherently we want to believe that all people are good and that they, they don't have ill intentions. And so I think because of that, it's like, it, it takes a lot for us to even contemplate in our mind that it could be that close to home, yeah. that it could be that intimate, that, that in our circle. Right. right. We, yes. we feel as parents that we've created this protective layer around our children. And it's like, well, as long as I don't let this or this in, they'll be safe. Right. And, you know, and, and oftentimes if you really look at the stories and the struggles and the statistics, it, it's oftentimes somebody that's already in the circle. Yeah. And you're just you're struggling to believe that that could happen. Yes. And, you know, and yeah, and I do think that that's, you know, you got to, you got to look at it. You got to be prepared for it. And I'm not saying that you should treat everybody like they're criminal until they prove themselves not, because that's a, that's a horrible way to live. But what I am saying is that you got to give your kids the tools to be Yes, ready. yes. Exactly. That's there, right. There's got to be an awareness in your home that this is possible and I'm going to address it. You know, it's kind of like... Um, the fire drill the you you have a planned yeah. escape route in your home yeah. you have strategically placed your fire extinguishes and at some point if especially if you have a large family you sit down and you have that conversation in case of a fire this is what we do yeah. so um that whole sexual abuse thing there's got to be an attack you know there's got to be awareness of it and we have to have a plan of action so that means i have to openly communicate with my children you know right and my children have to know that if you are in a position where you have been violated no threat should stop you from coming to me right so i have to let my child know that no, I don't care if they threaten to kill me, your dog, your daddy, and everybody yeah. else. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you yeah, know, exactly. You still come to me. Right. I can handle the threat. Yeah. Right. You know, we're bigger than the threat. Yeah. And that I think is 
what has not happened and we're evolving and we know from the books that cross our platform that the, the, the conversations are being placed on the table and open like you did in this book, like our author who came on before you did, you know, but there was a plan of action in that family to prevent it. Yeah. Yeah. And if the grandmother had not been proactive, if her mother had not been proactive, she would have been a victim of it. You know, and so we we do have a responsibility to prevent it because now we know it it happens, and we we don't have to deal with it like let's push it under the rug, let's prevent it from happening, and it could be your brother, it could be your cousin, it could be your nephew, it could be your sister or your auntie, you know it it could be anybody prepare yes. your children yes. to know that there's no threat that that they can't come to you. I know I have to get out of here. Yes. I'm looking at you through the corner of my eye rolls. <laughs> yes. I want to say one more time, you guys, visit us at thejoyandcompany.org. Get a copy of this amazing, and I do mean amazing book, and talk about some of the topics in your churches, in your homes, with your family. Glenn, thank you so much for joining us. I appreciate it, guys. Thank yes. You. Thank you. Yes. It's been a delight. We'll be back, guys, next week. New authors, new books. It's a new season.